morning. Our reading today comes from John chapter 13, verse 31, through to chapter 14, verse 14. After Judas was gone, Jesus spoke. He said, Now the Son of Man receives glory, and he brings glory to God. If the Son brings glory to God, God himself will bring, will bring glory to the Son. God will do it at, all at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, just as I told the Jews. So I'm telling you now, you can't come where I am going. I give you a new command. Love one another. You must love one another, just as I have loved you. If you love one another, everyone will know you are my disciples. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow me later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will give my life to you. Then Jesus answered, will you really give your life for me? What I'm about to tell you is true. Before the rooster crows, you will say three times that you don't know me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me also. There are many rooms in my father's house. If this were not true, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. If I go and do that, I will come back, and I will make you, take you to be with me. Then you will also be where I am. Sorry. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? I've been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father? Don't you believe that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. The Father lives in me. He is the one who is doing his work. Believe me when I say, I am in the Father. And believe me that the Father is in me or at least believe that the miracles show about me. What I'm about to tell you is true. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. In fact, he will do even greater things. That is because I am going to the Father, and I will do anything you ask in my name. Then the Son will bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name. I will do it. Morning. find my place? Sorted. One of the biggest questions I think anyone ever has, Christian or non-Christian, is what is God like? I mean, we all have these big words, he's incomparable, he's incomprehensible, he's our creator, he's our sustainer, all these big, exciting words, but what is he like? Like, in the song, what if God was one of us? What if he came down to earth and hung around with us, would he go to the pub with us? Would he go for curry? Would he go for Chinese? All these really big, important questions. And so often I think we forget 
that God was one of us. And we're going to take a look at a bit of that now. So if you have a Bible, it's always a good thing to have. We're going to be looking at John uh, chapter 13. Let's flick there now. And we're going to start looking at verse 31 and 32. Jesus said, The time has come for me, the Son of Man, to enter into my glory. And God will receive glory because of all that happens to me. And God will bring me into my glory very soon. All through John's Gospel, he's been implying that Jesus will redefine glory. He's going to completely change what that really means. And to glorify means to be exalted, to be lifted up. And Jesus did this in a very physical and literal sense when he was crucified on the cross. And he did this out of love for us, and he did this out of obedience to God, so he would also be glorified. He brings God the glory by fulfilling God's plan to free us from sin and to free us from death. And that is very good news. And the main kind of basis, the main foundation to do this was relationship. A relationship between a father and a child. So the context of this conversation is the Last Supper. Jesus and his closest friends are sharing a meal. Jesus knows he's about to be betrayed. The disciples also know he's about to be betrayed. Uh, The end is coming, they're going to go their separate ways. And no doubt the disciples will have a lot of questions. Psalm Peter wants to know, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replies, where I'm going, you can't follow. Now Peter, being a bit mouthy, being a bit, you know, think first, uh, speak first, uh, speak later, um, kind of says, well, you know, this could be a test. Maybe Jesus is testing my resolve. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to, I'm going to definitely follow you. I'm going to follow you to the death, my Lord. That is what I'm going to do. Thinking Jesus would turn around and say, yeah, bingo bongo, you got that right. You're definitely in the top five of my disciples. You've got that absolutely right. But no, Jesus says, really? Really, you're, you're going to die for me? No. No, I don't think so. You're not going to do that. I tell you, you're going to disown me. You're going to say to people, you don't even know who I am. All this time we spent together, you're going to deny all of it like it never, ever happened. And normally, when we're reading, we'll close our Bibles there because it's the end of a chapter, and we'll go away feeling a little bit depressed, thinking, oh, I didn't work out very well for Peter. But, and this is where the Bible can get a bit annoying. Whoever put it together, I think, put it wrong here. Because you start on chapter 14, and the first words, Jesus is still talking, he says, don't be troubled. Peter is going to disown him, he's going to say, no, all that stuff never happened, don't know who he was, and Jesus is like, nah, chill, it's all fine, don't worry about it. You believe in me, now believe in God as well. And that's absolutely amazing. How many times in our life have we thought, I'm going to make this big promise to God? 
When we become a Christian, that's the biggest one. Say, yeah, I'm going to live my life for Jesus. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to give all my money to the poor. I'm going to go up to some far-off country. I'm going to talk to that person at work who doesn't know you, and I'm going to, you know, give my testimony. I'm going to convert them. I'm going to do all these amazing things for you. I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. But then we get to it and think, actually, uh, no, I'm not really sure that's going to happen. And Jesus knows that. He knows that we're going to mess up. He knows we're going to make these promises, but we're not going to follow through with them. And he says, don't be troubled. Jesus is going to go ahead to his father's house and prepare a room. And he says, and you know where I'm going and how to get there. And at this point, imagine all the disciples are nodding, knowing like, yes, yes, we know exactly uh, where you're going. Uh, no need to ask any questions here. Thomas, keep quiet. We know, we've got everything covered. It's absolutely fine. Then Thomas pops up and said, uh, actually, uh, we, we don't know where you're going. Um, so how are we going to know the way? And I think Thomas gets a bad rap. Firstly, great name. Secondly, <laughs> I think he's one of the bravest of the disciples. When a big issue comes up, Thomas is the first to say, I don't understand. I don't think it's a bad thing to doubt. It's a bad thing to doubt and not do anything about it. But he doubted and actually asked Jesus, look, I don't understand. Can you explain it for me? And Jesus is more than happy to do that. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, this seems a bit arrogant. Jesus has been living his whole life as a modest person, showing great humility. But here he's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, bigging himself up right up there to the max, saying he's really important, he's a great thing. But is it arrogance if it's the truth? It's very difficult to come up with a real-life human example. Uh, One example I thought was Bill Gates, uh, the... um, kind of head of Microsoft and the founder of Microsoft, he is a very, very rich man. Uh, and he couldn't possibly deny it. He couldn't say, I'm not a rich man, because that would be a lie. But he does amazing stuff for charity. So he say, I am a very rich man. I'm one of the richest men in the world, but I am doing a great deal for charity. It's a bad example, perhaps, because no human could possibly show the same amount of perfect power and perfect humility as Jesus. Very much the lion and the lamb. So let's explore what this means, the way, the truth, and the life. Firstly, it's the way. Not a way, not a possibility. It's the way. There is no other way to get to God besides through Jesus. One argument that comes up uh, when discussing religion is all these different religions, they're all worshipping a god or gods. Could they not all be the same god? Could we not all end up kind of worshipping the same person? It's all got a bit complicated, different books. But Christianity, there is only one way to get to God, and that is through his son, Jesus. He also says he is the truth. In the beginning of John, 
it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Jesus is the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, wrapped up in flesh and bones. Imagine how amazing that would be, how mind-blowing. All of God's wisdom, all of God's knowledge, in skin that can cut and bruise. Skin that, as he was growing up, would get spots and sprout hairs in strange places. As he was working and walking around, he would uh, stub his toe on rocks, and he would feel pain. The very knowledge and wisdom of God in skin. Imperfect skin. And he says, I am the life. Now here Jesus has been talking about his impending death. But here he says, no, I am the life. Jesus is a man who can speak authority over death. He's proved it before when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He has that power. But that power came from God. No one else has that kind of authority to speak over death in that way. So here Jesus, he's declaring his true identity. But I think sometimes we can look at it and we see, okay, way, truth, life, bish, bash, bosh, all very good. But I think there are two words at the beginning that are quite important. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you know your Bible, when Moses met God at the burning bush, he asked God, who shall I say is sending me? And God says, I am that I am. Is this a coincidence, perhaps, that Jesus chose to use those two words? In the Greek, uh, as it's written, the words I am are very intense, very powerful words. Jesus is saying, I am only me, no one else. I think here Jesus is staking his claim as the God of creation, the God who made everything, and the God of the, of the ancestors of the disciples. And just to hammer it home, he says, if you had known who I am, then you would know who my father is. From now on, you know him and have seen him. But still, some of the disciples weren't quite happy with that. Uh, Philip decides to speak up here at this point and says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. So often we want evidence. We're scientific creatures these days. We want evidence for everything. If a news story comes out, we're checking all the sources. We want to know who do these people speak to, where they go, where they see. Is this a first account witness or is someone tell someone who told someone? We need firm evidence. But here, Jesus says, really, you, you don't know who I am? We have spent so long together. You've been there the whole time. You've seen all the things that I have done. So why are you asking to see him? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? So you want to know what God is like? You want to know what God looks like, how he behaves? Then look at Jesus. So often we look at the Trinity and we see the three different parts. You've got the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In my mind, I always see God the Father as a slightly porky fellow with a big beard on a chair, kind of just moving stuff around. 
Jesus is a cool hipster dude. He comes down to earth to hang out with the people in the bars, uh, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. People pretty low on the social ladder. And the Holy Spirit kind of like a mist that kind of floats around and does weird stuff. But here it seems that all three have the same character. You see one of them. You've seen them all. You know what they are all going to be like. So you're looking at Jesus. You're looking at God and you're seeing everything that he is. Creator, sustainer, protector. He walked with us on this world. He shared all our everyday experiences. He grew up like us. And he lived a life like us. Why would he do that? Why would he come down to this world that's so full of sin? A world that was dangerous. A world that was contaminated. Firstly, to be an example of how to live our lives. Jesus spoke a lot about how we should treat other people. He spoke about how we should raise those who are poor up and those who are rich should know their responsibilities towards everyone else. But also he came to earth to show us what we are capable of. Jesus goes on to say that the truth is anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be the father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it because the work of the son brings glory to the father. Yes, ask anything in my name and I will do it. You see, Jesus in this time is spending with his disciples. He had been training them. They wouldn't be aware of it at the time, but they're witnessing everything that he did, listening to everything he said. It's like if a father wants their son or daughter to be a doctor. From birth, they'll give them toys aimed at that specific area, a toy lab coat, a stethoscope, a little med kit. And as they grow up, they'll end up getting games like Operation, um, maybe Theme Hospital on the computer. Um, and having books and watching TV, all aimed at this specific area of medicine. And then that person would instinctively think, okay, I, I feel pretty equipped. I feel pretty ready to be a doctor. And it's much the same way for the disciples, and it's much the same way for us. We can look at the whole life of Jesus and see everything he did. And we can apply that to our own lives as well. It all starts with a relationship. It all starts with getting to know Jesus. Getting to know every part of him intimately and lovingly. And then we can ask, for God, uh, ask God for things. And God loves to give us stuff. He absolutely does. And he loves it when this stuff is glorifying his plan and glorifying his son. So it's a simple prayer. Jesus, I want to know you more. And through that, we can be equipped. Now, we can make that promise, we can say that prayer, but we can know that we may not fulfill it. We may stumble, we may fall. We may be like Peter, who says, I'm willing to lay down my life, and then messes up. But Jesus says, no, don't be troubled. We might be like Thomas, who wants to know more. He has doubts. 
He's unsure as to where it is he's actually going to end up. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. And like Philip, we may want evidence, want something concrete, something tangible that we can hold to prove this. But Jesus says, you've seen everything that I have done. What other evidence do you need? So we need to look at Jesus. We need to look and we need to keep looking. It is all about the relationship. It is all about the love between a father and his children. I think it would be good to have a time of prayer now. Um, if you're here this morning and you're kind of exploring church, exploring faith, um, and you want to know Jesus more, then I'd invite you this morning, now as a time, to kind of make that step. It's not an easy road, but God is good. And if you're here this morning and you feel like your walk has kind of turned to a bit of a stumble, a bit of a crawl, and you feel like you need to recommit to Jesus, recommit to God, then I'd invite you now also to do so. So if you feel like you want to, it's a very personal thing, but I'd invite you just to hold your arms out in front of you and to welcome Jesus in. You don't need to feel self-conscious. We are all family here. We all love each other dearly. But it's just a simple prayer. Jesus, I want to know you more.